So, you know, the story goes that uh, when miners used to work inside the coal mines, they would often take a canary with them. And one of the things they recognized is that the canary's respiratory system was extremely sensitive. So as the air began to get thin, uh, they would flood it. And that was an indication to the miners that we need to get out of here because it won't be long before it's us. Welcome to Social Distances, a podcast where we examine the distances that both separate us and bring us together during the complex and compounded crises of 2020 and beyond. I'm your host, Logan, and today we're talking to Dr. Akil Houston, Professor of Cultural and Media Studies at Ohio University, about media, race, and history. And so in many ways, what we've seen across the racial landscape, uh, the landscape of difference, is we've seen these moments where people have served as the miners canary, and yet we're not listening. And so we saw, in many ways, the explosion of that uh, this summer with the responses to some of the things that are going on uh, socially and politically, and of course, at those intersections in our world. In what some have dubbed the Summer of Racial Reckoning, And amidst a raging viral outbreak, a new kind of pandemic emerged, a racial one. I'm talking about um, the onslaught of violence, cyclical violence that black and brown communities have faced. This moment where you see the deaths of Breonna Taylor, for instance, and obviously the the well-publicized death of George Floyd and a number of others leading up to that moment, whether it was Freddie Gray, whether it was Sandra Bland, whether it was Trayvon Martin. I mean, the list is endless. Or um, the young man jogging in Georgia. It's just, it just goes on. That is what I mean by um, the racial pandemic, that it's ongoing, it's inescapable, that you're not safe anywhere, that it's just, it's deadly. Unprecedented. It was chosen as a People's Choice Word of the Year on Dictionary.com. And one New York Times study found this phrase was up over 70,000% in corporate presentations. But in reality, maybe some of the things that happened aren't quite so unprecedented. Unprecedented, meaning it never happened before. Unprecedented, meaning there has been no precedent. But it seems if we had connected the dots and reckoned with our own history, we would perhaps have realized that we've collectively been here before. I think we're really being challenged to think of history as more complicated than names and dates. And, you know, a a good historian will tell you that, you know, if you take a class, they'll say, hey, we're not just going to memorize these dates. We're going to offer context. We're going to create a narrative for understanding where we are now. And we also want to see how certain moments are connected to previous moments. So I think that the challenge is, is that how do you apply it? How do you take the lessons of the past and say, okay, we've been here before. Now let's do something different. It's just really bizarre in terms of the way we think about it and the way that different groups are treated. Uh, bizarre in a sense that ideally our values should guide our thinking, uh, but not so bizarre when we think about the history of race in the United States. So, okay, if we go back to the 1800s with David Walker's appeal, he makes this address that Black people should 
fight back. They should resist. Um, you have Nat Turner's insurrection in Southampton, Virginia. You have all these incidents where people have attempted to try to change things. And I think it was Lorraine Hansberry who in, I think it was 64, 65, somewhere around there said, you know, black people have tried every form of redress, you know, started newspapers, um, attempted to boycott, peacefully holding signs. Uh, some people have taken up arms, um, have tried everything that we're quote unquote supposed to do, served in the armed forces, uh, Christmas addicts, first casualty of the American uh, revolution, really. Uh, and you see, okay, well, if we do this, then we'll be citizens. If we do this, then, you know, racism will ha happen and that nothing has changed. So it's like you carry your own personal experiences. And then there is the collective experience of people who came before you. As we move forward in time as individuals, we find ourselves both burdened and inspired by the collective experiences of those before us. When I was talking about historical experience, I'm talking about things that people have collectively gone through. So as an African-American, you know, I was obviously not alive during a period of physical enslavement. So I don't personally know that experience. However, um, there is this thing of historical memory. So even though I personally have not gone through that, that is a legacy that I continue to carry. Those legacies continue to influence how we interact with one another today. And it is this social distance that draws a long shadow over minority populations in America in a way that goes beyond the contemporary existence of any single individual. And that baggage is made heavier by the ways we've told or not told that story. Just the way in which history is taught is problematic. You know, we get these films, feel-good films. I'm not going to take that aspect away from them, but they really minimize the contributions that, you know, African-Americans have made over, over the span of history. So I don't necessarily know that that's the best way to teach a very complicated narrative of historical experience. And the way that we see individual actors helps us think about our contemporary moment. You know, so many of my students will ask, well, yeah, it's too too bad Dr. King is not here. Yeah, that that's definitely true. Um, and they say, I have no idea what he would say now. It's like, well, you can. He has a book called Where Do We Go From Here? I, I don't know of a better title to think about in terms of what's next. And then the things that I think about is like he talks about moving the civil rights struggle to a higher level that goes beyond just the integration of lunch counters and schools. But to really begin to think about where are the nation's moral priorities. And so that's a much more compelling and interesting Dr. King. And I think it's more fitting of who he was. So it's important for us not just to say, OK, I know who he is. I understand history but to really wrestle with those ideas that he was wrestling with himself. Uh, and I think those are the things that will help move us forward rather than just, you know, leaving people in these cute little boxes, uh, but being able to see them with more complexity and more nuance. Back in present day, the summer passed. And as Black Lives Matter hashtags seemed to become fewer and fewer, then days like Martin Luther King Jr. Day in February saw millions posting his quotes, pictures, and ideas. But was the summer of racial reckoning enough to force us to see outside of those cute little boxes? 
Did virtual participation translate into real life understanding, conversation, and change? I want to say yes, uh, but I don't. I don't think so. Not yet. We're not there yet. I think that these moments opened up a larger conversation, one that has been needing to happen for centuries. But I think we need people who have intestinal fortitude and a willingness to stay in these tough conversations and embrace the fact that this is where we need to be. Because 2020's social and political crises were a history we experienced mediated by screens. At a time when divisions were tearing us apart, media provided ways to both connect and to separate. Protesters organized through Facebook groups and Twitter hashtags, and suddenly Amanda Gorman's poem was not just a commemoration for one day. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left. But a moment that lived on through phone screens, shares, retweets. K-pop fans took over the hashtag White Lives Matter with anti-racist posts and they overloaded a Dallas police app calling for videos of, quote, illegal activity from the protests with music videos and GIFs. You know, it's such an interesting metaphor that as connected as we can be through technology, we're so disconnected emotionally. Uh, and so what better way to witness, participate in one of the most crazy times, just in terms of all of these, uh, we got racial pandemic, we have a health pandemic. And like you said, we are experiencing it through our screen. So it's a weird metaphor for this moment. You know, I think about, for instance, how with each evolution in technology, uh, that was supposed to be the catalyst for change and people coming together. I remember, um, not because I was alive at that point, but uh, in teaching my students about the advent of the radio and the advent of TV and how right before these things became really mainstream, there were these conversations about how this is going to be a breakthrough. We're going to connect all U.S. citizens with the world and with each other, and we're really going to move forward. And at each moment, uh, not so much. Uh, so even with the Internet, it's the great super information highway was the language that they were using. It's a way to connect different communities. And then we saw disparities of who has access and who doesn't. And that was one of the things that was really magnified uh, when the pandemic forced a lot of us to work from home. So not everybody could just jump online. And even for those who could jump online, there were other challenges. Uh, so now I'm thinking about maybe a couple of other apps that we probably all have on our phone. Um, I guess I'm a little bit, even I'm a little bit too old for like Instagram and TikTok, but um, at least for maybe Facebook and Twitter and other applications, obviously a huge maybe social and political topic of 2020 was also the role that social media platforms have played in terms of being a sort of gatekeeper or buffer of information and what we see. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Before the pandemic, one of the things we talk about is the need for media literacy. You know, it's, you know, most of us know how to use um, a cell phone, but I don't necessarily know that we are as savvy in terms of decoding some of the messages that come at us. Uh, so I know there's a lot of conversation around um, how, depending upon what websites you visit, what you do on the internet, it can, you know, cultivate your experience, so to speak. 
Right. So, you know, you you tend to get things that are, like you said, this echo chamber. And in many ways, we think, oh, this is great info and I'm being informed when really not so much uh, things are being selected for you. So it really means that we have to be critical and thorough in terms of what we're seeing and what we're reading, because, you know, it's one of those things where, well, I saw it, it was on the Internet and, you know, it was a news outlet. OK, well, who funds the news outlet and what perspective is it coming from? It's great in terms of what we've been able to do with technology, but it still needs to be guided by common sense and a certain level of critical media literacy, uh, which is, is so very important. On the flip side, I think because people are opening up how we access our information through, you know, hey, I have a camera and, you know, I want to do a podcast. And so I think they have forced traditional news outlets to really rethink how they tell stories, rethink their notion of inclusivity, because sometimes it's very limited. But I think you also have to be careful of whether or not content has been vetted, content has been fact-checked. Uh, because I, I'm, I'm thinking, as I'm telling you this, I'm thinking about the filmmaker Mario Van Peebles, excuse me, Melvin, Mario's dad. One of the things that he prides himself on is that he did not go to film school. And so he said, I didn't learn the Western colonization method of documenting uh, black people. So that's why my films are the way they are. And so I think there's some weight there that, you know, the ways in which you may have learned the craft of filmmaking in film school definitely heavily influenced by Western ideas. But at the same time, there are some benefits, you know, in terms of technical expertise, framing, uh, you know, shot composition, that kind of stuff. So I think there is there's a conversation there about why it's important to have authentic voices that come from communities that are underrepresented, that come from marginalized groups and, and be able to get their voice without the quote unquote guidance of other people. Uh, and I also think it's important to, you know, sort of learn the tools of the trade, so to speak. So we're reconsidering our history and our present. But we're also reconsidering the ways in which the stories and the experiences of our past and present are being told. Because if we've learned anything from 2020, it's that how we hear the stories and how we tell them matter. You know, I'm reminded of a scholar that I, I respect, uh, Dr. Charles Fitch, um, Morehouse School of Medicine historian, has written quite, quite a bit on um, African culture. And I remember I, I was listening to a talk he gave years ago, and he said, you know, before I wrote my first book, I studied for almost 20 years. I didn't say anything. I was quiet. And then I wrote my book. And so I think for people today, um, I don't know if you're going to be that disciplined as Dr. Finch. However, I do think there is value in hitting the pause button and learning as much as you can. So I think we need to have some time to just reflect. And, you know, during the pandemic, many of us have that time. Uh, we can read, we can learn. Uh, so I think that's something that will help shift. But I think that will be, along with the critical education, maybe some deep self-reflection. Um, and a willingness to brave these difficult conversations and be willing to be transformed by your experience of learning and reading. 
I'm your host, Logan, and this is Social Distances, where each week we look at a different cross-section of society that has been impacted by the crisis and unpack topics ranging from the environment, earth and death, shelter, media, race relations, and more through insights from historians, anthropologists, policymakers, and other researchers. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out the video edition on social media under at MidStory or at www.midstory.org. This program is made possible in part by Ohio Humanities, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Social Distances is produced by MidStory, edited by Samuel Chang, written by Ruth Chang and Logan Sander, with original music by Dream Louder, and graphics by Jesse Walton. Thank you.